0: And I just remember probably the most, like, if it was a key moment, I was at a wonderful drag show in Corvallis, Oregon, and delightfully queer show. A lot of non-binary people, um, queer people were up on the stage and just living their best lives and just came to this conclusion of, like, if they're brave enough to live in this way, to, like, be out in the open, what's stopping me from doing that? Um, What's holding me back from living that life? And then really the only logical conclusion I had was myself.
1: Welcome to Normalizing Non-Monogamy
2: Please be aware that we aren't doctors or therapists. Consult a medical professional for anything regarding your health that you might learn about on the show. Enjoy!
1: Welcome to episode 191. We're Finn and Emma, and today we have a beautiful interview with Izzy, who if you remember from episode 181 is a partner of Ryan's but you don't necessarily need you definitely don't need to listen to Ryan's episode before listening to this one but when you finish this one go back and listen to episode 181 with Ryan
2: yeah and a huge thank you to Ryan i think a handful of guests that we've had on the show in the last month or two have been connections through Ryan and so that's just been amazing so thank you Ryan uh, and thank you Izzy for being here um a little more about Izzy really quick uh has been exploring polyamory for about three years, but the conversation is just an incredible one about being kind to everybody in, in your orbit, being kind to yourself, self-exploration, and just, I don't know, living life. It's amazing. As, as everybody in Ryan's orbit seems to be doing. Right? is just living life to their fullest, and so uh, we love these conversations, and um, we're just excited to get them out there. One other quick thing, and then I'm going to shut up and let Emma talk. <laughs> Um, for is, once. uh, hey, I'm <laughs> just kidding. <laughs> uh, Izzy mentions, um, an acronym AFAB, and that's AFAB, and it's, um, an acronym for assigned female at birth. So this comes up, uh, during a conversation around gender and gender identity. So just wanted to throw that out there for anybody listening who hears that and doesn't know what, uh, what they're talking about. It's assigned female at birth. Yes. All right. I'm, clarifying. zipping my lips. <laughs> Turning over the reins.
1: Well, before we go talk to Izzy, we are going to go through our quick announcements. So first up, the we are not doing a virtual meet and greet in July, but we'll be announcing another one soon. So stay tuned. That'll be coming very soon. Um, we can't wait to have more of those. We're, we love them, and we can't wait to connect with all of you soon in our meet and greets our Patreon community. If you are interested in finding community, we would love to have you join us. This is an amazing group of people. We thank all of you who are part of the community. It's blows us away every day. So we're so incredibly thankful for all of you who are part of the Patreon community. And if you're looking for um, places to chat and connect with other like-minded people, please check it out. Uh, We do have our monthly Q&A tonight. That's July 28th uh, at 9 p.m. Eastern and again at 8 p.m. Pacific.
2: New time.
1: New time. So the Pacific one is going to be an hour earlier than it has been previously.
2: All of the West Coasters said hey, why don't you move it up an hour so you don't have to be up until 1.30 in the morning talking to us.
1: Right. And, and we like, were like, well, that's, that's, that's brilliant.
2: Re- <laughs> that's really kind of you. <laughs> so now it's at 8 p.m. Pacific and at 9 p.m. Eastern. Yes. Two different ones.
1: Two different ones. So
2: there's plenty of time to sign up. If you want to join us tonight, check it out and see if it's a good fit. We would love to have you. If not, that's okay. You yeah. can still listen to the show. You can still, you know, be here for us.
1: Of course. We're, he- we're-, we're
2: still here for you. <laughs>
1: always there's no requirement but we would love to have you if you're interested in joining just go to our website normalizingnonmonogamy.com and click on the patreon button and then we'll have a bunch of um, august dates for our calls coming out next week
2: one last thing before we jump into the show uh, we just wanted to throw a quick plug in there for one of our favorite affiliates stdcheck.com if you use the links on our website you get ten dollars off a 10 panel test bringing the cost down to 130 dollars we use this service. We absolutely love it. It is amazing. And using the links does support the show. Um, we've talked in the past about how easy it is. I'm just going to say it again. It's super easy. Yes, it's it fast. Is. It's anonymous in that you don't have to have a weird, awkward conversation with your doctor. <laughs> and when you're done, you get your results texted to you in like a day. And then they're sitting in your online portal. So you can share them with all of the people who you might canoodle with.
1: Yes. Exactly. And using the links on our webpage does support the show. So thank you so much for doing that.
2: To find that, head over to our website, again, nonmonogamy.com, Click on the resources tab and it will be listed under there. You can also find direct links in the show notes of your podcast player. Just scroll down a little bit.
1: Find links there. And while you're on our website, if you go to our website, you can also contact us, send us a voicemail, send us an email. We would love to hear from you.
2: Yeah. And I was just going to say one last thing. If you're looking and you really want to support the show and Patreon's not for you and maybe you don't need STD testing, that's not for you. That's okay. The best way to actually support the show is just to tell people.
1: It is. Spread the word. Just
2: tell people about it. When you talk to people, when you're out swiping through your Tinder, just tell everybody. Be like, hey, I, um, this
1: podcast. I
2: only hook up with people who listen to Normalizing Non-Monogamy. <laughs> right. <laughs> so that's our new standard. Yes. Um. Oh, that, that's weird. <laughs> Maybe that shouldn't be our story. I don't
1: think we did good (laughs) enough. Back that up. Back that up.
2: (laughs) Totally made that up. That's not a thing. Anyway, uh, yeah. So that's just something we wanted to share. If you want, if you love what we do and you love supporting the show, but you don't want to do it financially, that's okay. Tell people about it, spread the word, spread the love, and we thank you for that. Yes. And with that,
1: let's go talk to Izzy.
2: Welcome to the show, Izzy. Uh, We're excited to have you here. We heard a ton about you on Ryan's uh, interview from a few weeks ago, but I guess that was episode 181.
1: Yes, that's right.
2: Nailed it. Uh, (laughs) So if you have listeners, if you haven't listened to that one, it's a fantastic conversation. Uh, But Izzy, welcome to the show. Thank you for being here.
0: I'm happy to be here. Thanks for having me on the show. Um, as I said, my name's Izzy, and go by they/them pronouns. Uh, I live in New Orleans, Louisiana. Uh, I've been practicing polyamory for the past maybe three years now, um, and happy to be on this podcast and talk with you all about it.
2: Hi. Yeah, we're excited to hear more about your story from from your perspective. Uh-huh. Um, and I guess, do you mind taking us back in time, like three years ago? What what got you interested? in non-monogamy to begin with
0: so about three years ago um it was roughly around the time i'd moved back to new orleans i spent a couple of years out in oregon uh largely living asexual kind of aromantic life uh, just taking a lot of time to figure out myself uh coming to grips with a lot of non-binary a lot of gender issues and just figuring all that out um i found the woods is a really great place to do that because trees are really comforting um solid things so spent some time out there, but was still really connected to New Orleans. Had a lot of community out here and a lot of support. Um, so after spending some time out there, moved back. And once I got back to New Orleans, started to get a little bit more into the feeling of uh, like who I was as a person, how I wanted to express myself. And with that understanding of the new sense of self, um, could bring something to more romantic relationships. And one of my partners, Ryan, really being in the polyamory community um, and some other communities in New Orleans. Um, And we had been close since our college days and stuff. And just one day we're having dinner. It just happened to enter into a conversation about polyamory and romantic relationships and stuff. um, And started um, really getting more into a closer relationship romantic-wise. But that was started with the original intention of being an open relationship, uh, being polyamorous. So right at the start of that relationship, kind of just being in the headspace of this is open. These are expectations of each other's. These are kind of, you know, initial boundaries, but as relationships go, you kind of renegotiate them as times change, especially now with, you know, having come out of the COVID pandemic and stuff. That was a really unique trying time for boundaries and relationships and stuff. Um, But yeah, so slowly transitioned out of the kind of aromantic asexual role into more of a queer, Romantic way trying to learn how to relate to people in this kind of new new identity. So that was was about three years ago
1: That's awesome. Thank you. Uh, do you mind taking us back a little bit further? You know, you Throughout your childhood and adolescence like growing up did were different relationship styles uh, modeled for you at all or How did that did you know anything about polyamory before three years ago?
2: Well, and I, and I want to maybe also like throw in there too, like the big change from the, the asexual, aromantic path or, or identity that you had to moving into polyamory, which I guess maybe for people who aren't familiar with asexuality and aromanticism, aroman- Yeah. Right. I get that right. Um, maybe yeah. like explaining a little bit about what that, like what that looked like for you. Um, And and then tying it in maybe to Emma's question about like how, yeah, how you kind of had those things modeled for you.
1: Yeah, that's a good point.
0: So I'd actually say both y'all's questions kind of tie in together in the same way. Um, To start with, let's give it a historical context. Uh, I grew up in a very conservative town in Texas, Uh, was very straight for most of the years of my life. Uh, And then when I turned 18, came to New Orleans, you know, they kind of, That pressure to act that way and be um, a member of the community as a straight, conservative person, uh, male-gendered person, uh, wasn't really there anymore. Had this crazy culture of New Orleans, kind of introduced me into all these different modes of thought and being. But the model I'd had before that was a very straight, male, this is how you interact, you find yourself a nice uh, female-gendered partner, and, you know, you do the whole relationship thing, flowers, dates and stuff. And I played at that game for a long time and was largely dissatisfied by it. Felt a lot of frustrations, um, and a lot of that was internalized, um, mainly because, you know, if you're playing this game, you see everyone else is really successful at it. Um, it gets kind of a weird feedback loop of like, why am I satisfied by this? Why am I not feeling happy when obviously everyone else is doing it well? Um, And a large part of that was being uh, queer, but not really coming to terms with it. Um, So as time went on and I realized, you know, I was coming out of these relationships feeling really dissatisfied, or my partners in these very monogamous, kind of more straight conservative relationships would also be dissatisfied came away feeling that people were hurt, that emotions really weren't identified and communication wasn't living up to, you know, either of our expectations. So within that realized I, you know, wasn't feeling as happy or satisfied in relationships. My partners weren't feeling as happy or satisfied. Um, so that led me to more of this idea of kind of burn it all down. So just throw out that old ideology, that kind of framework of like you know the dates and moving towards marriage, moving in this like very elevator model of relationships um, to more asexuality. So cutting out a lot of these confusing components for me of relationships and boiling it down to like what do I see and in interacting with people. You know, I had all these very close friendships with people, people I loved and respected a lot, but I didn't really know what to do with a lot of that emotion and feeling because it didn't fit into the more monogamous model. Of interacting with people. Because within that monogamous model, there's a lot of demands that it moves forward, that you're building something. And after a while, realize that isn't a realistic expectation of a lot of people. And you can go out and have a nice date with a close friend of yours. Does it mean you're dating? Does it mean it fits into these all these weird little terms and stuff? And after a while, just coming to grips with like maybe the issue is the framework and not necessarily myself. Um, so turning that away and kind of taking away all the expectations of monogamy and straight culture and heterosexuality and all of that gave me a chance to build. Um, So that was kind of the start of my time in Oregon, kind of dialing back a lot of my relationships. And as I found, I got more comfortable with myself. I was able to open up to people more. And once I got into the polyamory um, community and found that found these beautiful kind of expressions of the relationships that focus more on um individual experiences with people without the like very heavy expectations of uh monogamy. So it's found in polyamory. Uh once I got into it, it was just a really nice way to kind of balance a lot of that emotional expectation and also time management as well uh with people. So yeah. Yeah,
2: yeah I was I appreciate all of that. And I was curious on the like you said, it was kind of like the burn it all down like um model or strategy approach to it. I was just like i we haven't talked to too many people uh who have identified or do identify as as asexual. And I was just curious it it sounds like you've kind of come away from that in some respects, but I was curious when you when you shifted there to like was it that you didn't like find any enjoyment out of that or was it more that like you saw that or you felt that introducing the sexual component to a relationship just complicated it in ways that you weren't feeling good about in general
0: i would definitely go for the latter part of that question um i think sex complicated a lot of my relationships um i think a large part of that was gender identity Mm-hmm. Um, having to slip into a more masculine role and these relationships with more, you know, AFAB people, and definitely it was more on my own internal side um, that I would get really confused. There'd be a lot of dissonance in interacting with people sexually, whether they be male-bodied or female-bodied people. I always felt felt like I was going more towards like this masculine role, um, largely because at the time didn't really understand fully what it meant to be queer, how to present that identity to other people, which is an important part of like the sexual side of a relationship is that trust being with a partner. Uh, And I felt like I wasn't really bringing that to the table. I was bringing a lot of the misconceptions and kind of backwards ideals um, that I had in my mind. And it's a lot of emotional baggage to bring to um a relationship so i felt in my own mind the easiest way to handle that would be to kind of cut that portion out of my relationships uh, and focus more on kind of the groundwork. of it is expressing the emotional side uh learning how to you know, do the time management of it learning how to experience people more in this dynamic sense rather than a like singular monogamous focus mm-hmm. um And the aromantic side as well, it's kind of goes back to this idea of like, let's take all of these preconceived notions, put them in a little box and send them out down the Mississippi. Um, And so just getting back to this, like let's just get down to a ground model and get back to a more experimental one where, you know, every relationship is another chance to develop, to reflect and kind of come up with new ideas of how to interact with people. And really getting to this idea of every relationship is unique. What may work for one person who's very important in your life cannot be easily translated to another person. Um, So really just continuing with this experimental model and moving away from asexuality kind of just goes back to that idea as well of just the experimentalism of it. Like Mm -hmm. never really getting caught into one group of like, oh, this is working. We're just going to keep copying and pasting it. Instead, reflecting on it entering into new relationships that may challenge me in different ways and uh give me a new opportunity to develop as a person but also get to know people better Mm -hmm. yeah
2: i love that and i think it sounds like what what kind of helped and and i guess i don't first of all i don't want to like stigmatize like that or that there was anything wrong with the aromantic or asexual like uh journey or journey yeah like Mm -hmm. i was just curious more that like how you went there and then like came back from it or, and then when I say came back from it, like it makes it sound like it was a bad thing, but it's, it sounds like you have been able to untangle whatever you needed to, to feel comfortable, then introducing that back into certain relationships, maybe not all relationships, but you seeing each relationship as their own entity um, and whatever that relationship needs.
0: Yeah. I think a big part of just the dynamic, um part of existence you know none of us are really concrete individuals you know we don't turn a certain age and it's like congrats this is your identity for the rest of your life uh it's been my experience that identity is a very um constantly changing thing um it seems like every month with every step i take something's changing i'm adding to this overall picture um I think a painting would be a good metaphor. With every stroke you put on a painting, it becomes more dynamic. It becomes more beautiful in its own sense. Uh, Even with like the happy little mistakes you make on paintings and stuff, it all provides to the generalized picture of it. Um, Mm -hmm. And definitely, as you could say, it's part. It's little tools in the toolbox. Like being able to experience being asexual. Uh, and aromantic for a while gives me an inflection on certain relationships with people. Um, so being able to kind of contextualize relationships in that way and say, like, hey, this is a boundary for me. I'm going to kind of contextualize this relationship in a way. Um, Or be able to also break out of that mold and be like, you no, know, maybe it isn't fitting my prototype for an asexual relationship. Like, maybe I need to go back and kind of talk with my partner and reevaluate um how I feel or how I experience this person. So I think it goes back to this idea, kind of what I was saying, just the experimentalism of it. Um, Really looking at relationships and life experiences as chances to add more data to the set. So being able to, you know, take that step back and experience something new and realize, you know, was it a positive experience? What did I learn from it? And take that chance to reflect on it. Yeah. Yeah, I love that approach
2: that just like, everything in life is an experience and then you kind of become the sum of, of your experiences. Yeah, Uh,
1: totally. (laughs) That is very true. Uh, if you're comfortable sharing, I know I definitely want to hear more about the polyamorous side of um, your journey here in a minute, but if you're comfortable sharing, I'd love if you could talk a little bit about, uh, the journey that you went on to figure out, or I guess, question your sexual identity and, um, gender identity, gender identity, uh, if you're comfortable doing that,
0: yeah, um, it's definitely it's definitely a very strange journey. Um, I think a large part of it was um, largely experiencing this life through kind of this weird, very narrow lens of just feeling constantly dissatisfied. That you know, like a lot of gender identity was like putting up this like um, cardboard cutout of what everyone expected me to be, and then the actual me is standing behind that but initially lacked a lot of the language to express that. I think it's a big part of, as we move through like polyamory, non-monogamy, queer identities, and everything, it's coming up with a new language to describe these things. And that's a big part of not only internally processing things, but also being able to identify with communities. Learning that language, being able to express yourself and how you identify is a very key point, of learning to come to grips with that. So as time went on and I began to enter into more queer communities um, in New Orleans and started to feel more comfortable in them and realizing that kind of idea is like, why do I feel more comfortable here? Why do I not, why do I feel just trusting and that I'm not always constantly on guard? Uh, And had several really good members of the community kind of reach out to me and be like, hey, I think you're queer here's some literature, here's some books and stuff, and being initially very resistant to that idea of being non-binary and learning these new languages and just being resistant to it. But over time that kind of started to rework those models in my mind. And I just remember probably the most, like, if it was a key moment, I was at a wonderful drag show in Corvallis, Oregon. And, delightfully queer show a lot of non-binary people um gender queer people were up on the stage and just living their best lives and just came to this conclusion of like if they're brave enough to live in this way to like be out in the open what's stopping me from doing that um what's holding me back from living that life and then really the only law school conclusion i had was myself like it was a lot of internalized practices a lot of guilt from religion and all of that fun stuff that had just been internalized and that I've been carrying with me for years. And that the biggest way to do away with that is to kind of just abandon it, to realize that the only person really holding you back from that uh, is largely yourself. That's why a lot of those guilt mechanisms are internalized and things like that. So for me that began the like great starting point of like I have to put the work into this. I can't be held back by my own structures. Uh, that I've been perceiving for so long. And that kind of began the journey of like figuring it out, being more open to my um, friends and family and finding, you know, some pitfalls in dealing with people, but also largely a very supportive uh, community. And that's actually what led me back to New Orleans was finding there's a very supportive um, community here that allowed me to live a new identity and be very supportive of kind of, me developing that and coming to understandings and kind of being able to experiment in this, um, wonderful city.
1: Yeah. Thank you for sharing all of that. And, um, I, it's just, I think it's helpful for other people to sometimes hear the, uh, the journeys that we're all on, um, not just on relationship styles, but also for your own identity as well. So thanks for sharing that.
0: Yeah, no problem. Yeah. Happy to happy to share.
2: <laughs> yeah. And I, I maybe sort of, I think I'm, I'm a misspoke, but when she said sexual identity, but I think it's also an important piece of this because like you, you correct it, obviously um, everyone yeah. just heard it, but anyway, <laughs> <laughs> the my point was circling back to that. Like I imagine that your sexual identity, while not necessarily totally tied to your gender identity, was that something that was also evolving and you were learning about um, and experimenting with along that same path on that journey?
0: Yeah, I would actually argue that a lot of physical identity is tied to sexual identity because we do interact with people in a sexual way in a very physical way, mm-hmm. um, but how we perceive of ourselves physically. Um, Whether that be, you know, non-binary, male-gendered, female-gendered, anything along the spectrum. um, Largely ties into how we interact with our partners, you know, and also deals with how do they perceive us. Um, And a big part of that was coming to terms with um, being more non-binary, being queer allowed me to vocalize what i wanted out of these relationships so entering into sexual relationships or romantic relationships as well and saying like you know this is who i am as a person this is you know how i largely interact with people and getting the feedback from that that kind of um support for that it gave a sense of building so in interacting with more people that way um found that that idea of build, building a physical identity started to allow me to open up more sexually with partners um, because I just felt more confident. I felt it was easier to identify, and that I wasn't putting on that kind of mask of acting like a mask person, or you know, having to act gay, or like putting myself in this box that I didn't really feel comfortable in in interacting with people, um, and getting to that concept of being more free and turning it back to an experimental style.
2: Yeah, yeah. I just, I think I love like you keep saying the word experiment. And I think I just love that approach to life that it's just an experiment, and um, I think I can really appreciate that. And I thank you for for that perspective. Mm-hmm. Um, I was just curious. Do you? What, we've kind of covered some of the background and some of the groundwork. Do you mind sharing like what maybe what polyamory or what your relationships? look like today like high level like are there 20 of them are there five of them is it is it just just you for now like what does it kind of look like today and then i'll maybe kind of build on that
0: yeah i think at my current count i have uh about four continuous relationships going um to be relationships that i term as partnerships um which you know, it goes back again to language and kind of this idea of how do we term things? Um, largely, partnerships for me just mean the expectation of like, hey, I want to get to know you, I'm gonna spend time with you. Um, and in the craziness that is my schedule, it largely also means a logistical side of things of like, I'm willing to take time out of my schedule uh, and devote that towards you. So yeah, most of them are in New Orleans. I have one long distance relationship. Um, that I've been maintaining for about a year and a half now. Uh, It's been really great, a really great opportunity to work on communication and kind of seeing, um, like, how do you keep the lines of communication open when you're thousands of miles away or hundreds of miles away? Um, and so that's been an interesting experimentation, and a lot of it as well as like different, you know, kind of interests in life, finding people from different backgrounds. I think a big part of my experience with polyamory has been not placing all of the expectations of my life on one singular person. Like, you know, Ryan has been really great in my life of, you know, helping me feel comfortable in a home. Uh, really great on the domestic side of things and we get to do you know, the nice little house dinners and interact and you know, act as a cute couple at the household but also build something domestic which is a really great way to invoke a sense of safety and security uh, in housing and also in a relationship um, and then my other relationships kind of go back to that experimental idea again uh, just kind of different inflections of myself um, so finding you know kinks are different things that I want to experience and find people are really interested in that. So rather than putting it on my partner and be like, Oh, I really want to experience this thing that you have no idea how to do and have no experience at, uh, being able to find a partner and be like, Hey, you seem you're really into this. Like I've always wanted to experiment or like learn more about that. Uh, and being able to start a relationship on that and kind of build it within that, um, context of, experiencing other people from different backgrounds you know sometimes you'll find someone who's really good at that emotional support and you might have a partner who has absolutely no interest in that but you can get along well on going on dates and doing you know the life experiences with the absurdity and all of that um so a lot of it's kind of the balance of my own mental emotional and kind of physical needs uh between multiple partners
2: yeah yeah Thanks total sense and it does I, I appreciate it i think i love too. like i think it's it's again it's easy for people when they hear relationship to think like oh well we're you know whatever we're in love or we like each other but we and we have you have to have sex and you have to do all of these different check boxes. and i think that you're take this to the level of just like each relationship is its own and whatever that involves it involves and and it doesn't even necessarily need a label some of the time. Like you said, you use partnership instead of relationship. And like, I don't know, I've, I just, I've really enjoyed hearing the, your approach to all of this. So I, I just
0: appreciate that. Thanks. Yeah, no problem. That's, that's why I'm here to share this yeah. experience. And I think a big part of it is also looking at relationships is constantly being dynamic. Mm-hmm. Um, i before before mono, or before polyamory and non-monogamy a big frustration was this idea of like oh well this has to move in a constant direction like it has velocity behind it it must build towards this like endpoint, and then largely finding out that that's in a sense kind of bullshit because relationships are dynamic people change life circumstances change um Having this idea of being able to sit back and reflect not only on your own personal growth or your own personal challenges, but also reflect with your partner on like, you know, what's changing in their own lives? You know, am I in a position to support this or do I need to step back and allow themselves the time and space to grow and being able to, you know, change the dynamics of a relationship and reestablish expectations and boundaries of it so that I can continue being a relationship. I think this concept of breaking up is like, it seems like such a de facto thing. Like, you know, you're like pulling the plug on something and it just disappears. I don't think that's necessarily true. I mean, you can't just throw away a relationship um, that easily, but you can renegotiate the boundaries of it or talk about expectations um, emotionally, physically, mentally, and all of that, and learn how to rebalance those kind of scales of expectation. With like the caveat of being like, there are certain toxic relationships out there that do require that kind of substantial, like, no, this is done, this is off, and the split. But yeah, for me, mostly this this dynamic of you know reevaluating and reflecting on relationships because um, we all grow, we all change, uh, we all have our challenges, we all have our successes. I think it's important to kind of take, like throw all that into the picture as we grow and live together. Mm
1: -hmm. Yeah, totally. You know, I'm curious, when you started down the polyamorous route uh, just three years ago, what are some of the challenges that you've encountered along the way?
0: So I think with all noble endeavors, I started with absolutely no idea of what I was doing. Um, and kind of just threw myself into it. And I think a big part of it was just using other people to understand myself was a big part of it. Um, so finding people from diverse backgrounds and getting to know them and no longer being afraid of like, oh, where is this going? How is this building and stuff and just treating it more as an open ended like this relationship is starting largely as you know just an emotional connection. We talk really well. We get along together. Uh, and then being like, oh, well, now I'm not afraid anymore of this going in a romantic way, because then that muddies the waters and puts all these expectations with polyamory and you know, our community being more experienced in it. found it was easier to make these kind of little jumps in trust, in interactions, uh, whether they be you know, emotional, mental, physical, sexual, and so on. It isn't as dramatic as a jump as it was with monogamy. You know, like, whereas you make the jump to being in a romantic relationship, monogamous-wise, you know, suddenly now you've cut out a whole bunch of other people. Whereas in our polyamorous community, you know, there isn't that large, like, oh, now I have to raise up the, like, the gates on the moat and things like this and, you know, push all these other people away from a more romantic or physical side. So being able to still manage, you know, my own feelings about romance and getting to know people. While also developing closer ties and relationships with people um, was kind of my initial experience with polyamory, and it definitely it took a while. I was definitely very shy coming into it, and then as time went on, um, you know, kind of watching my own partner Ryan experience other people, um, and you know, kind of watching him balance multiple relationships, but also balancing my own expectations of Ryan and I's relationship gave me a chance to kind of build a framework and see these tools of how people communicate, how they build relationships, and then start to apply that to my own. Um, So as I got to meet more people in the community, just got more comfortable with this idea of like, you know, there's no distinct lines, more just focusing on, you know, What do my partner's consent to? How do I communicate my own intentions and what I want out of things, but also being willing to change that as well, to take feedback on it and be like, oh, well, you know, maybe this person has more expectations than me and maybe I want to go down a more romantic route of them or entering into a sexual relationship and finding out that it's just purely that. There's no necessity for the romantic side or the, you know, like building a homestead um, kind of way. By just focusing all of our attentions and energies on that kind of sexual or physical experience, um, or even going back to just casual relationships, where it's like, "Hey, you want to go meet up for a beer," um, but you do that, you know, ten times over a year, and you suddenly get to know that person better, and you share, and you get to learn all these like very vulnerable parts of a person, and you build up this sense of trust. Um, so that was kind of my experience getting into polyamory is looking at relationships in a more dynamic way and learning how to re-experience people without these kind of absurd expectations.
2: Yeah. And I think what, what just like listening to that, I think a lot of it is that like fluidity, mm-hmm. um, right. Cause what you just described, let's, let's say if, if I went out to dinner once, let's say once a month with some, someone like his, like, society would probably look at that and say oh you're just like you're just a friend who goes out to dinner once a month but like you've kind of taken that and lumped it in as a a relationship which it is and it's really no different than a a purely sexual relationship or uh it could even be a spouse or a domestic partner or whatever it's just another human with another tie back to you and you just define it however you want i don't know i keep saying the same thing over and over (laughs) But there's, I, there's I we're theme. driving the point home here. I guess there's a theme here. There's that a like, theme
1: to this podcast. We,
2: we, I think, as society, we tend to really want <laughs> things to fit into a box that we understand. And I think the the box that everybody understands is like you date, then you get engaged, then you get married, and that's the relationship. Um, and we're all kind of breaking that norm.
0: Yeah. They've always heard it kind of referred to as like the elevator model, you know, like you get on the elevator and you go up to the different floors, but you're always moving in that upward direction and it's never really feeling satisfied with that. Um, And I think a big part of that was just because I'm constantly changing and adapting my own sense of self and identity. um, It's hard to sit still within that model and like, feel like I'm moving in a generalized upward direction. Whereas at any moment could just take a dramatic right turn um, in kind of how I experience the universe or how I uh, display myself. And I think a big part is bringing that to relationships and kind of looking at them as this like Mm -hmm. more dynamic model.
1: Yeah. Yeah, How have you, I mean, you've already explained some of this too, but like, have you seen yourself grow in ways that you weren't expecting?
0: I think I've definitely seen myself grow in more emotional ways. And I think it goes back to the concept of learning language. I know growing up in more of a mass, like a hyper masculine household in Texas and kind of having that be my framework for the longest time left me with a very limited grasp of how to experience, but also how to relate emotion. I think a big part of that is the language we use to talk to each other about feelings and intentions. If you don't really have that kind of working knowledge of emotional intelligence, you can have all of your own emotions. But if you can't deal with them or express them to people, you're kind of just left, left with this chaos. And for the longest time, that's what I had. And I think in entering into polyamory, and one of the biggest things that I've had to deal with and I've seen other people deal with is the concept of jealousy. And you can look at it from multiple directions. It could be either like an irrational, just natural reaction as humans to it. You can also look at it as like a societally inflected emotion of like, oh, well, I have to feel jealous because everyone else feels this kind of emotion about that, about polyamory. So learning how to deal with emotions in a polyamorous relationship gave me the chance to develop language around that, um, to be able to talk to partners about like, Hey, I don't feel comfortable with this or like, or the core layer that I feel really happy when we do this one thing, or like, you know, I feel really happy about the direction this is going. Um, So learning how to gain that emotional intelligence was really important to me and getting the ability to communicate better about relationships, about expectations, about boundaries and it's largely a growing process of that. Um, that's been a really great experience. Um, and I've enjoyed within polyamory. Yeah. How
2: have like you talked about, like growing up in a very masculine, hyper-masculine Texas family? Have you come out to them? And if so, like how has it gone with your, you know, your family and, and your original, maybe your friends from high school who who knew Izzy back then? versus is you today?
0: Yeah, there's been a few that I've come out to, um, but I think largely in the years, a lot of depth has been lost and a lot of context has been lost. And that's, um, usually a really important thing of like coming out and being able to communicate new identities is the context that develops that. And so I have come out to my family in very limited aspects. Um, Largely because it does go back to that language problem. Like, how do you explain being queer or non-binary with all of these kind of queer ideology um, themes and like theories behind that? That is someone from Waco, Texas, really conservative Catholic may have never heard these things or may have heard them in a wildly out of context uh, way that might already build a framework in their mind. Um, So for the most part, I always find myself more comfortable being open about, you know, being polyamorous uh, and being queer with communities that are already knowledgeable in that. Admittedly, it is fun with, you know, work in like more non-personal times to talk about polyamory to people. Um, I've always found that's a really easy way. To breach into talking about, you know, more queer themes or talking about relationships. Because it's a very simple introduction. It's like, oh, I have multiple partners. Or like people are like, oh, who are you dating? It's like, well, I have several people. And it's a very good springboard because it often confuses people, but not in like a very hostile way that sometimes coming out as queer or non-binary does. I do realize there's a lot of people who look at polyamory as a very like distinct. Um, kind of like purely sexual thing where it's like, oh, you're just having sex with multiple people and then getting an opportunity and talking with more monogamous people and be like, no, it's much more dynamic than that. You know, having multiple relationships means you have the opportunity to fill multiple goals within your life, you know, the mental, the physical, emotional and sexual as well. And finding, you know, you don't have to put all of that onto one person. And that's a very, I've always, in looking at monogamous relationships, I've always been baffled Uh, that one person in your life has to take on that huge role, and it just seems like an absurd expectation. Uh, so when talking with more monogamous people and trying to describe polyamory, really just getting down to this groundwork of you know communication, expectations, and also just the dynamic aspect of it, you know, what is this person's role in my life? How does that change? How does that adapt? Uh, and just kind of mm-hmm. looking at that. Um, but from that concept of like growing up in a hyper masculine community, very conservative, religious, um, I had no <laughs> access to any of that. Um, so it was largely once I was in my more formative years around like 18 onwards, having to come to grips with that. And I'm really grateful to the community that I have around me uh in providing me a space to, you know, kind of learn and grow, but also go through the kind of negative parts of that, which is, you know, kind of doing the battling with that uh sense of self and kind of coming to grips with like, you know, I'm abandoning my culture and I'm abandoning a lot of like family values and all this stuff that's kind of unnecessarily placed upon people. But then just kind of coming to the conclusion that at the end of the day we have our own autonomy. Like we are given the freedom to live the lives we want to lead. And it's a double-edged sword on that one, you know, and you accept that you're free to do that, but you also have the responsibility of, you know, how do you interact with people with that? How do you develop that? Um, so freedom and responsibility, both sides of the coin on that development.
2: Yeah. Well, right. Because yeah, you can go and date as many people as you want, but if you leave a a path of destruction in your way in your wake, yeah. Like you're not really doing I mean, you're not really doing yourself a service or, or anybody you've, you've interacted with. So yeah, you, you have to balance that and that can be a challenge. I, I was curious on the, the communication front, what were some of the maybe tools, resources, ways that you found to, that have helped you improve those skills? Cause it, it's, it's clear that it's clear that clear communication and good communication is like the the foundation for everything that you're doing. And like, how have you gone about honing those skills?
0: Yeah, I think, I think a big part of that is coming from the background of being very terrible at it uh, <laughs> and not communicating well. So like if you have the groundwork of uh, being really bad at a skill, it makes it kind of easier to build it because you don't have as many preconceived notions. I think a big part of that Is just learning first off how to communicate emotions, you know, just putting it out there in the world, hey, I'm feeling this way, or this action provokes this specific emotion or feeling, and not letting that kind of, you know, whether it be negative or positive, you know, not internalizing that. Because if it's really positive, you should share that with your partner. You should let them know they're doing well or that they're making you happy. It's a nice little like emotional boost uh, and kind of, you know, add some mortar to the bricks of that relationship and consequently the same with negative emotion, being able to say like, Hey, this makes me feel not good or this makes me feel bad. Like we need to talk about this. We need to process it. Um, and a lot of times, you know, it's not like a demand. It's not like a boardroom meeting negotiation. A lot of it's just the ability to be open and Frank. Um, and that's, what in a lot of my relationships helps develop that sense of trust in them and the ability to be vulnerable. Um, and then beyond that, a lot of it's the negotiation of like expectations. Like, you know, I keep going back to this idea of a big part of polyamory is logistics. So <laughs> yes. Like figuring out, you know, like, Oh, I need to devote a certain amount of my time and attention to you. But also have these other expectations like jobs and you know like going out and having fun or decompression time, and other partners. So being able to communicate the almost like logistical expectations of that, uh, and sometimes I will admit it does become kind of a nightmare of like, all right, these few days off, or opening up the Google Calendar and being like, oh, like you know I can put you in here, I can put you in there. Um, so learning how to experience the expectation of time. Um, but also how to share spaces together. Um, I mean, a large enough, like open polyamorous community, you might end up at the same event with like two or three different partners, or you might be that one-off partner there as your partner is there with two or or three other people and learning, you know, how do you negotiate like the emotions of that and like sharing that space. Um, and it goes back to the idea of just open communication, learning how to identify emotions in that moment. And not letting them kind of fester or you know, kind of kind of like, um, like a snowball rolling down a hill, it just kind of gathers more and more mass as it rolls down. And then you know, that one little just like oh, I got bent off about this small thing, then becomes a very huge like issue because it gained that mass. And then yeah, I guess just cap it off is just learning the language of it, mm-hmm. you know, how to communicate terms and what are relationships, and you know, do you define it as like partnership, boyfriend, girlfriend, open, non-monogamous. It's kind of the fun of being able to figure out what that all actually means. And mm-hmm. hopefully someday put it on paper, but for right mm-hmm. now it's all the nebulous philosophical error. <laughs> <laughs>
1: that kind of leads to my next question. This is a po- probably impossible question to answer, but where do you see things moving in the future for you?
0: I think one of the more absurd ideals that's been kicked around between myself and several of my other partners, this idea of like this big poly commune somewhere out in the woods someday. That's kind of like the home base uh, that people can come and leave as they feel comfortable with. That it could be that kind of core community that's a more domesticated, supporting Uh, lifestyle and kind of, you know, being able to maintain that dynamic of um, being able to fulfill all those needs in your life, you know, the emotional, sexual, and so on with multiple partners, but also have, you know, that kind of solid core of people that really just over time, you build that much more substantial relationship. You know, as a relationship goes from weeks to months to years, there's a lot of dynamics i get built within that you know hopefully positive dynamics but a lot of ways to deal with things and that kind of combined history leads to um leads to something beautiful and i think in moving forward that's kind of the goal with it is like learn how to transform polyamory into that continuing dynamic of kind of you know are we building something? Are we moving in direction, um, that, you know, we see ourselves 20 years down the line still together, like, you know, what does that dynamic look like? Um, and so, yeah, for right now I think I'm more of an immediate focus person. Ryan's more of the one who looks at the like 30, 40 years down the line. Uh, for me, it's, you know, the continuing experiment of building my own identity and also getting to know people within the community, and learn their inflections of their own identities, uh, how they experience life, and kind of learn from that, and being able to reflect on that. Um, so as I experience polyamory, being able to you know kind of continue building myself and my own concept um, relationships in the world.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's beautiful. Thank you for sharing all of that.
0: Yeah, I th- I,
2: I totally agree like it's been uh, a beautiful conversation and i think we're both really excited to get out there maybe a couple last questions that we'd love to hear from you on one of them is on how you keep yourself safe both just physically but also like your sexual health um both of those are i think front of mind when people start thinking about going out into the world and having multiple partners so um i guess how do you approach that
0: yeah. So I do have a background uh, in medicine. I work as a paramedic and a big part of that job is advocacy for our patients. And a big part of that is, you know, bring our own medical knowledge to the world. And I think there, you are correct on, you know, in polyamory, there is a conception that, you know, all this hedonism means we're overrun with, you know, STIs and things like that. I think there are, that's a, terrible misconception because if anything, a lot of us are more educated on the risk of having multiple partners and do put in, um, a lot more safeguards. I think the biggest one you can put in place is routine STI testing. It's easy. Most insurance companies cover it. Even if you don't have insurance, there's a lot of really great clinics out there that offer free or reduced price, uh, testing. Um, I think given, you know, Learn the risk in your community. Um, I tend to hook up with male body partners a lot. Louisiana tends to have a high HIV rate. Take prophylaxis for uh, preventing HIV infections. Um, It's a really great thing to talk to your doctor about the risks slash benefits of. um, But also, you're talking to medical professionals about the risk um, of Sexual relationships and how to mitigate those risks. I think on one side we tend to balance more on like oh the risk and the scary high school videos of infections and stuff that we don't really talk about how to mitigate that, and that's a big part of public health. Is you know what are the habits we're developing to mitigate risks? So I think if I just boil it down to some simple things: routine STI testing, using prophylactics, condoms, dental dams. Um, Truvada or what have you for HIV, prophylaxis, Uh, and then the last thing and probably the most important thing is communicating with your partners. So, you know, if you have a potential exposure to an STI, really remove that stigma of feeling embarrassed or shameful about it because the best thing you can do is just share that with people and let them know that there is a potential for exposure. It's nothing to be ashamed about. In fact, the only thing you should feel guilty or ashamed about is not communicating with your partners that there's that potential for risk. Um, And then the other flip side of it is communicating like the prophylaxis, like the potential risk, you know, going and getting testing and sharing, you know, that clean record uh, that you get from the doctor and feeling positive about your sexual health. You own that. That's yours. It's part of your autonomy uh, and utilize that. You know, feel proud of navigating these very strange waters uh, in a way that's informed, that's positive, and it allows you to share yourself as a beautiful uh, piece of light in this world.
1: Wow. I don't think we could have said it better ourselves. (laughs) 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 It's amazing. Uh, Another question we like to ask is... uh, if you have a funny blooper or mishap that has happened on your non-monogamy journey, to show that you know maybe all of these uh, experiences don't always go as planned.
0: I don't. Most most of mine are pretty raunchy, so I think I, I think I can pull a pretty good one. Um, to be fair, Ronchi is my...
2: okay. Like we're, we're, we we mark this as explicit, but do as you do as you wish. <laughs> I, uh, I'll
0: give one of the nice nice sport tamer ones. There you go. Um,
2: it's a family show today.
1: That's all right.
0: <laughs> um, but there's a long distance partner of mine that um, I actually met through my partner Ryan because they had found each other through some dating app. Uh, and we just really hit it off over a dinner. They happened to be at the household. And then I was actually, I was working uh, for Habitat for Humanity as a supervisor. And they came one day to volunteer. And I had no idea who they were. I was just in that work mode. It's early in the morning. Um, and then ended up running into them there and looked at my piece of paper. It's like, Oh, hey, I do know you from somewhere. And just kind of hitting it off that day and kind of like bumbling into this relationship that now is like butted, but also ties in with my relationship with Ryan. This idea of um, charting polyamorous relationships being kind of absurd, (laughs) Um, but like getting to know people through these weird tertiary events. Uh, One of our classic household activities is to kind of put all our names on a little piece of paper and then start drawing the circles of polyamory. And then it just becomes pure and utter chaos after a while. Cause you, know, you might have someone down in this far corner that then is interacting with someone in another far corner at the opposite edge of the page. Um, so that's kind of the, one of my favorite bloopers of polyamory is trying to look at the ties that bind um, and then being able to almost chart it kind of globally or nationally mm-hmm. uh, these like weird, weird ties, but that's, that always gives us a giggle is to kind of chart how we know each other and what our relationships tend gently to each other.
1: Yes. Speaking of which on Ryan's episode, he gave us a chart, a similar chart. So that is um, actually available in the show notes for um, episode 181, which we'll put in this one too. Yeah. But uh,
0: so. delightful. He is, he is a little data nerd. He loves that kind of, uh, visualizing data that it just it kind of comes natural to him yes that's that's lovely i'm glad you shared that
2: (laughs) (laughs) yeah no it's it's uh it was fun to be able to see it and i think as you said like it's it's really exciting to hear how you've all you all support each other and you're there for each other and your relationships overlap at different times and i don't i think it's fantastic and Um, I just want to say again, thank you for coming on. Is there anything that you haven't shared with us that we haven't asked about that you want to get out into the world? We wanted to give you the chance to do that before uh, we let you get about your day. Um, and again, just to say, thank you for being here.
0: Yeah. Like to return that gratitude. Uh, thank you for having me on this. Super happy that more people are taking the time to kind of publicize polyamory and kind of put it out there that this isn't um, all like hedonistic, running out, debaucherous games, that it really is a dynamic, um, beautiful expression of relationships and is a nice kind of, in my own mind, a challenge to monogamy and some of the pitfalls of that. Uh, So I just want to take a moment to say thank you all for doing the work you do. Thank you for giving me the chance to be on this show. Super appreciate it. Um, and outside of that, just the standard boilerplate, love each other, be nice to each other, um, and just follow your dreams. Yeah. I love that.
2: And and nobody can see it, but you have a sign behind you. I believe it says be nice or
0: leave. Is that, yeah, that, uh, that is my only house rule for wherever I live. I've had that thing for like 13 years now. And it's always hung up in any house I live in. And I always point to that as kind of the golden rule. Yeah. I love it. That's
2: perfect. We appreciate it. Be nice or
1: leave.
0: (laughs) Yeah, I can totally appreciate that.
2: And so, yeah, again, thank you. Thank you for the kind words. We're always happy to give the platform uh, to anybody who's got an amazing story. and, And you definitely do. So thank you for sharing it. Thank you for being here. And have a fantastic day.
1: Yeah. Thank you so much. Yeah
0: thank you Emma and Finn it was a pleasure speaking with y'all today and y'all also have a wonderful afternoon as well thanks
1: and we're back thank you so much Izzy for coming on the show for being vulnerable and sharing your story with us it was amazing
2: yeah um yep
1: (laughs) you do not ready to add? no
2: I think these episodes with people that Ryan has put us in touch with have been some of the most deep some of the deepest some of the I don't know. Just amazing conversation. So again, Powerful. thank you. Powerful. Thank you, Ryan, for that. And thank you, Izzy, uh, for coming on and being vulnerable. It was an honor to talk to you. And we hope it's not the last time.
1: Yes. No, we definitely hope we can visit all of you and, and meet everyone in person. For
2: someday. the New Orleans bash.
1: Yeah. New Orleans.
2: New Orleans? No- <laughs> New Orleans. I think we're, now we're just offending people from, from there. We'll just say from there.
1: From there. <laughs> So they know, so we don't have to say that anymore. Right. Okay. Well, we were going to keep this outro short, so we'll still try to do that. (laughs) Next week, we have an interview with Jacob. So come back next Wednesday. Check it out. If you um are interested in as we said in the intro sharing our so- are sharing our show we'd love for you to spread the word and if you want to contact us just go to our website normalizing click on the contact us button send us a voicemail send us an email we would love always to hear from all of you
2: yeah you can come on the show yeah these people who have been on our show while they're amazing they don't do anything special other than reach out to us and say hey i'd love to come on the show and share my story
1: that's true it's not that and hard so
2: you just reach out you say emma finn let me share my story and we're like hey let's
1: amazing, schedule it
2: amazing human come on and share your story yes so we highly encourage that as well also a fantastic way to support the show
1: that's very very true all right so
2: but if you want to you can still join the patreon <laughs> There is a Patreon <laughs> call tonight. You That's still
1: July have 28th.
2: you still have time to join, and we hope to see you there. We would love to have you join us. And now I will stop talking and let you get along with your week.
1: Yes. Bye, everyone. Thanks for listening.